This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, March 25th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. As a developed world attempts to help other countries achieve higher levels of economic development, institutions of the developed world fail to effectively account for local culture and local institutions when they're delivering aid. Valuing people as agents of self-government as ends unto themselves is essential to that process. Matt Warner is co-author of Development with Dignity. We spoke earlier this month. We have a specific reason for bringing this up, but when we talk about foreign aid, when we talk about people living their best lives, what do we mean when we talk about dignity? Well, I think what's uh, useful about the term dignity, in addition to measures of economic success or even measures of freedom, which are obviously both very important, is dignity helps us understand that there is something about each individual that has value for the system. And that value is that uh, no one knows better than the individual what their trade-offs are and what their preferences are and how they're going to, how those things are going to influence the way they, they, they behave. And so that data, if you're trying to solve for human flourishing, that data has to be accounted for in, in the model. So when we talk about human dignity, it helps us rethink traditional economic development approaches so that we are making sure we have a model that accommodates the individual agency of every person. All right. So that seems hyper-local. Yes, it is. And so it, this uh, this principle of, of, you know, the usefulness of human dignity, in addition to its, it, its moral value, obviously respecting the right of every person to live their life as they choose, that's sort of it's sufficient as 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 a moral argument to support it but in addition uh, this this principle plays out in it in its practical use for finding solutions that actually stick and so whether that has to do with the way a household functions or way or the ways that that a community sets up rules for how to govern itself all the way up to the the level of of a national government um, the dignity of the of the individual as as a starting principle helps us form processes that find, uh, in an iterative sense, what the optimal solution is going to be. So, what has prevented that kind of iteration uh, in foreign aid as we understand it today? Yeah. Well, the the temptation is to have a sort of linear thinking about foreign aid. Uh, some people have money, some people don't. Uh, obviously, uh, or it seems obvious that if we can just get that money to those people, or if we can spend that money on things that those people, we presume uh, that they need, then, then you solve some of these problems. But uh, despite doing this for for decades we learned that that isn't how development works that develop is meant is much more about the iterative interaction of individuals uh, solving at that very individual level which adds up to some some aggregate change um, a very sort of complex solution uh, that no one person is is able to centralize in their head and and execute as a as a as a project design. And so traditional aid is all, has been all about um, what do these outside experts think is going to solve the problem? Well, that already is 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 not a winning formula because the answer is 
within the system itself, and it and it emerges and expresses itself as people have agency, freedom, and and the dignity afforded to be able to make choices for themselves. You said, spend the money on what these people we presume these people need, and that just go seems to go to the core of our misunderstanding of foreign aid more generally. Absolutely. In fact, some of the interesting research that's now coming out under the broad umbrella of the topic of dignity is to try to um, look empirically at whether what we're providing in terms of development solutions matches what people they them, themselves value. And so you have um, some research by Jeremy Shapiro, which um, goes and p- puts uh, a cash value on the equivalent portion of some popular development solution and asks people uh, which they'd rather have, the the cash or or the intervention. And even in cases where um, where where uh, where they get the thing that they value, they they prefer the cash or they tend to prefer the cash anyway. And sometimes that can be used to support another po- popular idea in development, which is uh, to just do cash transfer. Um, that certainly has appeal as a as a comparison to alternatives that are much more paternalistic and thinking we know what people need. But what all of this really tells us is that it's very difficult, if not impossible, and also not really needed to try to figure out as outsiders what other people need. Much better to just get the system right, meaning create a, an environment, a set of rules that allow people to express their their preferences and have the freedom to do so, so that they can um, at- attain what it is that they themselves uh, feel like, like they need in real time. And uh, the other interesting aspect is that as we've learned this, we've learned that, okay, getting the rules right, meaning, you know, the institutional framework is can make a big difference. Even that is not something that, that outsiders should take too strong of a leadership role on because the nature of strong, sticky institutional change, getting the rules right in context for that place is also something that um, should reflect uh, the choices and preferences of the people who will be governed by those changes. You and I have talked about this a number of times, the the outsider mentality when it comes to uh, foreign aid and promoting development in some of the more impoverished places on earth. Um, what have been the, you know, if we were, had to evaluate costs and benefits as broadly as we can, what would you say are the costs and benefits of the the current approach, which is drop the things into these uh, communities, into these countries that we think they need, whether or not that's what they actually would prefer? Well, one of the tempting things as the development community has gotten smarter about you know, moving away from things like, okay, it's just capital inf- infusion. Pe- people need capital. No, it's more complicated than that. Well, they, they need good institutions. Um, well, then we've, we've learned that uh, if, we, if we bring institutions as though they're these things that can be taken from one place and copycatted somewhere else, that also is a denial of the, of the dignity of the people to choose the systems that that will govern them, and in a practical sense, it's also um, a denial of the the utility of 
of idiosyncratic institutional frameworks that will function best there. And so the reason why this is important as uh, as today we think about getting the institutions right, um, our, our book includes, uh, my co-author Tom Palmer and I, uh, update some of the data on uh, this debate and development between autocracy and democracy. And what the, the data show is if, if you're a betting person and you want human flourishing, you better choose democracy over autocracy. And, um, and the reason why uh, that matters is that getting the rules right is not so simple as saying, well, if I were king for a day and I know that that, that liberal democracy is the best way to ensure hum- human rights and human flourishing, then I'll, don't worry, I'll come in as king for a day and I'll, and I'll set all the rules and I'll make sure that you have the right kind of system. Well, that is uh, on its face at odds with with liberal democracy. And so this is a really important debate because even people who care about liberal democracy fall for the idea that uh, those who champion liberal democracy have enough knowledge to come in and establish it on behalf of others, and you don't. And the reason is the dignity of the individual helps us see that there is knowledge Real knowledge. It might be tacit. It might be you know folk knowledge. Whatever, but the people have knowledge about what they themselves care about and what they will do. And so, the most choice-based ideology on the planet, liberal democracy, ought to be introduced in a choice-based fashion. Not just again, the the moral reason is sufficient, but in addition, the practical reason is it's not going to stick and it's not going to work. And so, what you get is uh, a a resentment of liberal democracy, a rejection, because uh, the form that they've experienced it has been a foreign imposition. And so what, what we argue for in our book is that, yes, liberal democracy represents, as a general set of principles, the right kinds of ideas for setting up institutions. But the form they take and from what starting point, that's the business of the people who are going to be governed by those institutional changes. Right. It seems like broadly what you're talking about across this entire conversation is buy-in. Well, it's buy-in, but it's also um, uh, who's is uh, it's also decision-making power. So I can go uh, to a country and say, hey, I've studied the uh, the the property rights system of Denmark it works pretty well. Uh, you might be able to to use it well here. What do you think? Should I come bring it to you? And you'll have these these cooperative um, exercises where nas- national governments, the land ministry, will cooperate and have bu- and t- and buy into the idea that this outsider system is going to work. And by all means. We should absolutely be accelerating the exchange and sharing of different uh, examples of institutions. The globalization of ideas has been super important. But um, the prerogative of deciding what to take from foreign ideas, how to adapt them in, in for purpose, and to have that be collaborative in the, whatever the proper manner is in that setting, it, you know, it sounds vague and tricky, and, and, and a little bit it is, but we have no choice because that is how um, good institutions form and stick. So where have we seen this, uh, I suppose, uh, backlash against liberalism broadly um, in, in some particular circumstance? 
Well, if you look at Freedom House, the the democratic norms have been declining around the world for 15 years. Uh, this is very alarming. In in of course, uh, even prior to the horrific uh, decision by Putin to to invade Ukraine, we were worried about um, some of the rise of authoritarian p- populism and some of the uh, uh, rotten fruits that come from that across. Uh, Europe and in other places and in in the, and in the United States. And one of the things that we now see how clearly um, what that does is when you centralize power in the name of being against something uh, else, um, you leave yourself extremely open to uh, the the whims of that power. And you can imagine uh, uh, a more democratic systems and more checks and balances that would um, make it much more difficult to make these kinds of horrific humanitarian crisis producing uh, uh, decisions. Um, not perfectly. Uh, nobody pretends. And this and this is the important lesson for those of us like myself who've grown up in strong liberal liberal democracies. I think some of the mistakes we've made is thinking that. Um, uh, our relatively high-performing liberal democracies have are the ideal. N- no, they are versions of attempts to discover, based on princip- a set of principles, some ideals around the ideas of liberal democracy. And so they're versions of it. Um, and when we make the mistake of saying this is the only way to do it, uh, and not only that, we know how to install it, um, we're setting ourselves up for ruining the brand of liberal democracy because we're not going to be able to to deliver. Much better to listen to, share with, and work alongside those who will be governed by institutional changes towards liberal democracy. And and a specific example that gives, that encourages me on this is uh, the think tank in uh, in India, Center for Civil Society, collaborated with um, street vendors to develop collaboratively a solution to the their illegality. They were kept out of the formal sector. They developed a new law that institutionalized street vendors and gave them voice within local town councils where they had the ability to solve some of the natural issues that come up, like where can street vendors work and, you know, at what times, et cetera. And they could participate in that system. And that's an example of institutional change that was inspired by the principles of of dignity and human freedom, but was expressed very much as a function of local voices. Matt Warner is co-author of Development with Dignity. He's also president of the Atlas Network. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.